Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. You'll turn to the book of Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3. And I've been preaching a series, When a World is in Shock, um, how are we to respond? How to be a Daniel in a world of culture shock? And uh, I've spent the last couple of weeks talking about Daniel and talking about living in a world that has been culture shocked. And we have been culture shocked uh, here uh, in this season that we're in right now. But how do we be a Daniel? And I want to talk a little bit this morning about when faith is tested. And uh, Daniel, like us, uh, his faith was tested. Ronald Reagan said this, he said, if we forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation that has gone under. And if we forget the fact that we are a nation under God, and, uh, then we will be a nation that has gone under. And we cannot forget the fact that we are a nation that is under God, that God has been, um, He is the foundation of this nation and has been. And so we, our faith is very important not only to uh, who we are personally, but our faith has been interwoven also into our culture and into uh, our world. And so, uh, you, know, in, you know, in this time of quarantine, uh, ourselves, you, you almost get this sense that uh, you almost get the sense that there is a we're in captivity. And uh, even though it's voluntarily, even though we voluntarily stay home, even though we're abiding by what our, our president has asked us to do, we are, there's almost this sense that you're in this sense, this bubble, this captivity, that there's this limitation to our movement and life. And even though it's voluntarily, it still psychologically has an effect on our life. And uh, it still has a, uh, a difference in our life. But I'm reminded of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, God promises us that he will give us a peace that passes all understanding. How many are thankful for the peace that passes all understanding? But not only that, that the key to that passage, that peace that passes understanding, is unlocked by verse 4 of that same passage of Scripture when it says that we are to rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. In other words, to unlock peace is to know that rejoicing, and again rejoicing, in the Lord always unlocks a peace that is produced in us that cannot be found any other way. So, so what is Paul saying? Paul is saying, by rejoicing, by worship, by your worship, by your worship, you unlock a supernatural peace that comes on our lives. It's a peace that man can't give. It's a peace that we can't find in this world. You can't buy it off the grocery stores at Kroger or Walmart or wherever you shop. It's a peace that only God can give. And I'm thankful this morning that though I feel, uh, even though we feel this restriction and there, it's a voluntary thing, I want you to know that internally there is a peace in me that passes understanding. And it's unlocked by the fact that I will rejoice in the Lord and again I say rejoice. And uh, the word rejoice there is a powerful word. It, it's a worship word. It really means coming to the understanding of God's nature. In other words, to rejoice means that you rejoice because you came to the understanding or you came to the revelation of an attitude about God. The attribute about God that I came to the understanding about is that God gives peace that surpasses all understanding. And so I rejoice in that. It releases a worship in me. And so worship is a part that is released in us. It's part of the peace that God brings into our life. When I think of the goodness of God and I rejoice and think of God's goodness, it soothes my heart. When I think of the goodness of God and I think of the peace of God, there's a power, there's a strength, there is this sense of his presence in my life. Peace will bring a sense of the presence of God in our life. And our worship is the key of overcoming fear in the day we live in. Listen, worship, rejoicing is the key to overcoming fear that comes on us in times like this when the outside circumstances press in on us, there is a peace that passes understanding. 
And our worship overcomes that fear. Our rejoicing overcomes that fear. Our worship, that having that revelation of who God is, of his attribute, is an act of worship that overcomes fear this morning. And it's by our worship that we say that we will refuse to bow to the circumstances of fear and refuse to be defeated. The believer has a promise this morning, and, 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 and worship reminds us how big God is. When we rejoice in God, not only is there that supernatural peace that passes understanding, but it also reminds us in worship, we're reminded of how big God is. And we're reminded that, listen, when you feel like your circumstances are bigger than God in a moment, you just need to get, begin to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice, because what will happen is, as you worship, your God will get bigger and your problem will get smaller. And so we are learning through the life of Daniel how to respond to a world that has been cultured shock. How do we respond to that world? We are pulling Daniel off the pages of Scripture, and we are allowing him to come into our culture and walk alongside us and walk with us because I believe what Daniel went through is very similar to what we uh, have to walk through even in the hour that we are living in. Now, Daniel chapter 3. Now, in the Bible... Uh, the Bible is not a chrono in chronological order. The book of Daniel is part of a group of prophetic books. Uh, and wh here's what's interesting. Do you know that one-third of the Bible, uh, one-third of the Word of God, speaks to the future events, not just what is happening then or historical, but one-third of the Bible speaks of what is to come, the future events that is to come. Why? It's so important for for God to alert us to the events that are coming, so that we have an understanding, that we know the events, that we sense the times, we sense the events that are coming. The prophetic shows us how human history is played out. Now, you say, well, how is that? Because in chapter 2, when Daniel began to interpret the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Daniel reminds us that the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. In other words, Daniel, uh, through chapter 2, God gave Daniel a picture of future things, of future events. That brought comfort to Daniel to know that he was able to stand in the hour he lived because he knew the future events that were coming. How much more do we have confidence in God to stand in this hour when things don't look as best as they could be, but we know the future. The Word of God tells us what the future is and what the future will be. I'm thankful to know that I've read the end of this book and we win. We win. Jesus is going to return and this thing one day is going to wrap up and there's a victory for the believer if we'll just persevere. That's a comfort in this hour. Because the circumstances may drive you to fear, but I'm here to tell you that what God says, that when this thing wraps up, that God, that we win. And there's a confidence that we have that comes in the believer that we don't have to walk in fear, but we can walk in faith. Live and walk in faith. Now, I have a friend, and he's a friend, he's a, he's a sports enthusiast like I am. I love sports. I watch it all the time. I have favorite teams, and I engage it just like many of you. And how many of us have sat around this past month when this should be March Madness and it's really become March Sadness for us because basketball is no longer around and we're sitting around wondering what we're going to do with our time and with our life. But I have a friend, he loves to go back and watch former games of victory of his team. He'll go back and watch. I asked him one time, I said, how many times did you watch this particular game? He said, I've watched it 14 times. I said, 14 times. You've watched that 14 times. And he watches that 14 times. Now, what he knows now is, is that as he watches that video, he knows that victory is going to come to his team. When it gets into the fourth quarter and it doesn't look like things are good, he has confidence to know that at the end of the video, his team wins. And that is the same thing that we have with God. God has given us a picture of victory from the beginning before the end ever happens. 
There's a confidence that we have in God. And so when life is running contrary to our convictions and running contrary to our, our uh, uh, convictions and our principles, Daniel reminds us in chapter 2 in verse 45, he reminds us that after the unveiling of the interpretation of the dream, that the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And we know that there's the picture of all of world history was played out in chapter 2 of Daniel. God gave a picture of the history of mankind. And the Bible said, and Daniel sees the vision of the rising of a stone. And that stone strikes the foot of the image that is built and that represents all of world history. And that world history comes climbing down, comes falling down. And that stone uh, becomes a mountain, the Bible says. And it's a picture of Jesus, who is the stone that the builders rejected, that Jesus is the rock and salvation. He will hit the foot of human history, and everything that has stood in human history has, has exalted itself above the knowledge of God. Jesus one day will strike and will come down before us. Daniel knew from that point that God was working and in the middle of what was happening. And so there is a God in heaven that reveals secrets, he says, in chapter 2 and verse 19. And so we have this confidence in God. Daniel's a prophetic book. The first six chapters of Daniel is a historical part of Daniel's life. And it gives us the history and the historical side of Daniel. Daniel chapter 6 through 12 is, gives us the visions and three visions and dreams that Daniel has over the course of his life and the interpretation of them dreams. And we will see this morning that in the book of Daniel, how Daniel handled fear um, and, how, and the way he handled it was, was he converted his fear into faith. We're going to talk about two stories this morning and talk about two, two stories this morning. And uh, both of these stories are separated by 23 years. And uh, one story is in chapter 3 and the other is in chapter 6, but they all have the same principle. And fear attacks faith for one reason. There's one reason that fear attacks faith. It's because fear wants to stop my worship and your worship. It is a, it is a uh, fear is a response there are many responses to fear. Many of those responses are emotional when it comes to fear. But the purpose of fear, one of the purposes of fear, is to paralyze us from worship. I believe that, that there's, in the last days that we are living in now, we're living in an hour when your faith and my faith are going to be tested. And the purpose of fear is to stop our worship. I believe this is an hour when our faith is going to be tested. Greatest test of our faith, I believe, could be coming right down the road. But, but it's, it's, our faith is not rooted in fear. Our faith is rooted in the stone and the rock who is Christ. And so our, we have to convert our fear to faith. Let's look at this in Daniel chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of stories. And then I'm going to talk to you a moment on how we convert our faith our fear into faith. Daniel chapter 3 and beginning in verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, the king made an image of gold and, who, and whose height was 60 cubits. And it was with six cubits he set it up in the plains of Dura in the providence of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the providence to come and dedicate the image of which King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now look at this. He set up an image, but the image was himself. How, how, what a picture of our hour. The images that man puts out today, the, the, the world today, sets up itself as image to worship itself. We live in a culture that loves to worship itself. All you have to do is look at all the selfies that are on Facebook. People love to take pictures of themselves. I mean, you look at a Facebook page, there's thousands of pictures of themselves. We love to self-indulge ourselves. King Nebuchadnezzar, he set up an image, and, it, and he set it up, and it was an image of himself. And it said in verse 3, 
Uh, it said, so the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the providence gathered together for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar and set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now look at verse 4. I want you to see this. It says, then a herald cried aloud, he cried aloud to you, it is commanded, O people and nations and language. He said, and to you it is commanded. To you it is This herald said, this is what you're commanded to do. In other words, a herald came out and said, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you have to do. This is what's commanded of you to do. I'm telling you that we're living in a day, we're living in an hour, when, when, when our world has set up idols in our world, in our life, and the world says to us that this is what you're commanded to do. There is an emphasis on our worship toward what we worship. We place idols in places, and then society wants to dictate to us what we're to do. He said, this is what you're commanded to do. This is what you should do. This is what you have to do. And we're living in the day when your faith is going to be tested because there are going to be things that you're going to ask to worship or things you're going to ask to do that is completely against the essence of faith that is in you. I'm telling you, we're living in an hour, and I believe it'll get, it'll get much worse when there will be society will say, this is what you are commanded to do, and this is what you have to do. And much of what the culture will ask us to do is in essence will be against what our faith is. How do we respond to that? How in this hour we are beginning to see if we truly are living in the last days and we truly are living in this last hour, how are we to respond to when society and culture says, this is what you're commanded to do. Like it or not, this is what you have to do. But how do we respond if it goes against the essence of who we are in Christ? How are we to respond to that? And so we begin, and we see in verse 5 and 6, and it tells us this as we continue to read. We see, it says, that, is, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lure, and the psaltery, and is in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Now look at verse 6. It says, and whosoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Now think about that. If you do not, there's going to be consequences. In other words, this is what you're commanded to do. If you don't do it, then there's a consequence to not doing it. There's going to be a consequence. Now notice the motivation for worship here. The motivation that Nebuchadnezzar uses and that the Babylonians use, the, method, the motivation for the worship is not love, but fear. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't bow down to worship this image, who does not worship me, there will be a consequence to that. So what's the motivation? Fear. We worship, you and I worship, we worship out of love. We don't worship out of fear. God is love. We worship God because we love him. Now the devil will make you worship him out of fear because, because he can't make you love him because he's not lovable. And so he makes us worship out of fear. People who will compromise their faith, not based on their convictions, but based on their fear not to. I'm telling you that in this hour, our society is setting us up not to, to compromise our faith, not based on our convictions, but to compromise our faith based upon our fear of the consequences of what will happen if we do not. Are you ready for a society like that? Are you ready for a society that's going to give consequences to, the, to you violating personal convictions? And the essence, it's a fear. It's, it's living by fear. We're just touching the top of the surface of what may be to come. I'm telling you, we're getting a little taste of it in this hour when, when fear is going to be used to motivate people to do what is commanded them to do. 
I'm here to tell you that we cannot let fear be the motivator of how we respond. We cannot just lay our convictions down and respond in fear. But we have to move in faith as a church and move in faith in everything we do. And ask ourselves, do we do this by faith or do we do it out of fear this morning? And so you may be watching this morning and, and you, you may understand that many things that you have done has been out of the peer pressure of fear, the personal pressure that comes. And maybe you've compromised on your job and threw your faith out the window because you were fearful of what someone would say if you did not go along with the rest of the crowd. Maybe you're dating a guy or dating a girl that, that threatens to break up with you if you don't do certain things and that you lose your convictions and leave them at the altar. I'm here to tell you this hour, the day we live in, we cannot throw away our convictions because we're afraid not to respond properly to the things that God has for us. Daniel's put in this position or the, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are put in this position to where now they've got to make a choice. They've got to make a choice. Either they're going to give in to the fear or are they going to remain under their convictions and trust God in the midst of it? Fear is motivating them to do something that's against the essence of who they are. The first goal of the enemy is to get you to worship and, and to come into agreement with something you do not believe in. That's what the enemy wants to do. How, how does he strike with fear? How does he bring this fear in your life? In other words, he gets you to worship he gets you to come in agreement with something that is that, that you don't believe in, that's against uh, the essence of who you are. The fear is the motivator for you to do something. And I want to tell you many times we have given in and come into an agreement with things that are contrary to the Word of God because the enemy has got us to believe that there is a consequence that will come if we don't give in. I'm not giving in this morning. I don't want you to give in. We're living in an hour when God needs men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and men like Daniel who will say, regardless of what the consequences are, my convictions and trust in God is greater than what the consequences that come in not obeying a world that we live in. Now, that's one story. I want you to turn over to the book of Daniel chapter 6 and, and, and the, the same scenario with a different twist. The, the, the first scenario that we see is what you must worship. In other words, the emphasis in chapter 3 on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, you must worship this God. They're telling you that this is the God that you must worship. But here in the second one, they're trying to keep you from worshiping your God. And let's look at chapter 6 and verse 5. It said, these men said, now who are these men? Now these men are the men that were part of, the, of King Darius' court to catch you up. Nebuchadnezzar has now been gone. King Darius is now king. King Darius is, is a much more friendlier king to Daniel. Daniel finds favor with King Darius. Matter of fact, Daniel is one of King Darius' favorites. And uh, what happens is those others in the court become jealous of Darius' favor that he is showing to David, that he is partial to, David, to uh, Daniel. And so their jealousy of Daniel begins them to plot against Daniel. And, and they say this in verse, in verse 5. It says, we shall not find any charge against Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. In other words, the law of his God. In other words, that we, have to, we can't discredit Daniel, but we can discredit his religion, discredit his God. And, uh, and if we can't get to him, we'll get to his God. Now, in the first story, we see you it's, it's what you have to worship. In the second story, uh, it tells us what you can't worship. Verse 7, we see there, it says, And all the governors and all the kingdom and the administrators and satraps and the counselors and advisors have consulted together, and they've established a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days, except, O king, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish that decree, the sign of writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, what we have in here 
is now, I want you to see here is in this story, there's an attack uh, uh, on Daniel's worship. Now there's an attack on his worship. See, in the last days, there's going to be a battle for worship. There's going to be a battle over worship. And the, listen, this whole thing started with a battle over worship. If you remember before Adam and Eve, all of this began in the courts of heaven and in heaven. Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28, we have the story of Lucifer who was an angel in God's court who was, who was one that led the worship of heaven and all of heaven. And in chapter 14 of Isaiah, we see that he decided that he wanted to be worshipped above God. And he says five times in that chapter, he says, I will be praised, I will ascend, I will be lifted up. And because of that, uh, he was cast to the earth. And so what happened was after that, when God created you and me, he created us a distinction about you and me to worship God. We were created to worship something. We're different than any other creation in the fact that God has given us the ability to worship. Here you have Satan, who's the unemployed cherub of all of heaven. He has been cast to the earth, and he is no longer the worship leader in heaven. And so he hates you and I so much because we have been given his place. And in us, we were created to worship God. Revelation 4 says, it is for God's pleasure that you were created to praise our God. In other words, God created you and I for something that Satan does not have. He does not have the ability anymore to worship God. He does, nor does he want to. But we have replaced him, and so we've been given the ability to worship. In other words, we become our voices are the instruments that God has given us. Our hands have become the percussions that worship God. Psalms 150 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I'm here to tell you, God created you to worship. God created you to express worship. And out of that worship, so the enemy's job is to keep and stop the worship of God in your life. How does he do it? He does it with fear. If he can keep you from worshiping, then he keeps you not connected to God. In other words, we begin with the battle over worship, and we know this thing ends with the battle over worship. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to turn there and I want to read this to you this morning. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and this is talking about the coming in the last days. And so the, the first, there was a battle that began this thing began with a battle, and this thing is going to end with a battle. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, the Bible says, Let no one deceive you by any means, that the day will not come unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. In other words, there's a man of lawlessness that is coming. The Bible says, and look what it says, one who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called of God. In other words, there is one that is coming who opposes and who exalts. Who opposes Daniel chapter 6. Who opposes worship, man's worship. And who exalts Daniel chapter 3 himself above God. In other words, in the last days, there's going to be one that comes that's going to demand and is going to set himself up as God. The Bible says, do not be deceived, lest there be those who fall away, who will give in to the fact those who oppose God in Daniel 6 and those who exalt themselves above God in Daniel chapter 3. And the Bible tells us that, that Satan will build a statue of himself in the temple of Jerusalem. Revelation 13, 14 through 17 tells us that that image will be set up and everyone will be forced to worship the image because, uh, because and, and those who don't, there will be consequences. In other words, they, it's not because you want to worship it, that it's going to be because you're forced to and you will do it because you're afraid. And in order to buy and sell goods in those last days, in the end of those last days, you'll have to take a mark on your hand or your forehead, the Bible says. 
So you no longer, you don't go to the grocery store and give your wallet. You go to the grocery store and you scan your hand or boop, you scan your forehead. And uh, that's how you pay for your groceries. The point is this. The point is, is that this thing began with worship. This thing's going to end with worship. I'm here to tell you that the, the, the purpose of fear is to keep you from worshiping God. It's to stop God's worship in your life. To keep worship from flowing in your life. Fear will paralyze you in worship. But I say rejoice. And again, I say rejoice this morning. Because worship is the key in this hour. And Daniel, through his prophetic warning, warns us and tells us that fear tries to stop worship. I want to give you two things this morning. First of all, number one, uh, by fear, fear wants us to exalt man above God. That is what fear wants to do. Fear wants us to exalt man above God. In other words, uh, uh, you determine what, what, what good, what's good for you. You have your own truth. I hear that all the time. Well, this is my truth. Or this is what I believe. This is my standard. Let me tell you how that happens. How does the, your worship get stopped when we begin to exalt man above God? When man gets the place of our worship and our heart above God, how do we do that? Let me tell you how we do that. Just, we do that, number one, we do that by tolerating. Tolerance replaces worship. You hearing what I'm saying? Because it's not important to please God, but it's important to please man. In other words, we accept the tolerance in the body of Christ. In other words, that we build our churches, our, 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 our belief systems, what we do, not at pleasing God, but pleasing man, because we want to tolerate everything that comes down the pike. We'll let anything sit in our congregation as long as it pleases man, and we forgot that the essence of worship is to please God. And we've tolerated it all. We've tolerated it to the point to where our services now is about tolerating what people like and tolerating what people are. In other words, we, we don't think about what God wants. We think about what makes man feel good. I'm telling you on the other side of this thing, I hope the church comes out and says, hey, we're not about pleasing man anymore, but we're going to please God. And when the church begins to worship and please God, then God will begin to move again. Because the, the purpose of fear is for you to exalt man instead of exalting God. And the fear is, is that if you don't recognize or tolerate my life, then what happens is, is that, that there will be a consequence for you to pay. I'm telling you right now, there are things going on in, in our world where people are saying they're already making plans. That if the church doesn't accept homosexuality, if we don't accept transgender lifestyles, if we don't allow those people to have a platform in the church, then there's going to be a, a, a price to pay. Just like in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to bow before the tolerance of an evil image. I'm here to tell you the church cannot afford anymore to give place to man. We now have to focus on worshiping God so that God will visit his church again. Pardon me, I don't mean to get so excited, but I'm just here to tell you, this is the hour we live in. This is the day that we live in. This is the world you're growing up with. Don't make people feel guilty about sin anymore. Don't make people feel uncomfortable in church. I want to tell you something. It was guilt of my sin that drove me to the cross. It was the understand that I was guilty before God that brought me to an altar to receive Christ in my life. That's God's love. That is the goodness of God that draws men into repentance. But we're living in an hour when there's consequences to not being tolerant. I'm telling you, they're threatening to take away tax exempt. They're threatening to do this and threatening to do that, just like they did in the day of Daniel. They're trying to make those boys be something that's not in them. And I'm telling you, it's only motivated by fear. And I'm here to tell you that this is the hour we need to step up and say, hey, it doesn't matter. We're going to worship God. Satan's goal is that God is not worshipped. That's his goal. 
That is the goal of fear, is to make sure that man is exalted and God is not. First Timothy 4.1 says this. It tells us. It says, it says, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to what? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. Listen to what I'm telling you. The Bible says in the last days there will be those that depart from faith because they are, have given heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of devils. Now let me just tell you this. I want to tell you something. It's, what does that mean, giving heed to? It means to give your affection, to give your attention, to give your mind, and to give your resolve over to something that is not God. It's to take giving heed. We give heed. We give our affection, attention to, our mind to. That's what's happening. And you're going to see that in a passage of Scripture in a minute and how our attention and our affection affects our worship. There's a battle for worship this morning. And there's a battle to force you to do things that is against the essence of your faith, and it will happen. That hour is coming. I'm not preaching doom and gloom this morning. I'm telling you, I'm preaching hope. I'm preaching more hope than you believe this morning. I'm preaching more hope to you than what you understand this morning. And I want you to know this morning that I, I, I'm preaching the word of God because I feel like this is an hour when we have to stand even stronger than we've ever stood before. I'm telling you, it's a different day. You say, well, you know, what is interesting? I want to tell you, I thank God. I, I look back over the last few weeks, the beginning of this year, and I thought to myself, man, how important is the prophetic in our life? How important is the book of Daniel to give us future events? You know, in hours like this, when our nation is going through what it's going, you know what I listen to? I don't listen to CNN. I don't listen to Fox. I begin to listen to the men of God that are out there in our nation that are speaking. Because I believe that in times like this, God will reveal himself to his prophets first and to the men that are speaking on behalf of God. 20 years ago when Y2K hit, 1999 in December, I wasn't worried. I'll tell you why I wasn't worried. Not because I didn't think there might be a concern. I wasn't worried because while I was listening to the men that had the heartbeat of America and the prophetic word in their hearts. And I was listening to what they were saying. I was listening to what God was saying, what God was showing me. And a peace came on my life, not because I was, I was disinterested or because I flipped it to the wind of what might be happening. It was because my trust was not in hearing what man had to say. My trust was in hearing what the Word of God had to say about my situation. And so I was able to walk without fear. And that's what we have to do to this hour. You know, the beginning of this year... Spirit of the Lord spoke to me in December and said, I want you every day to pray Psalms 91 over your family. Every day. I sent a text to my children on December 31st, and I told them every day, I'm going to pray Psalms 91 over you. I'm going to pray specifically over you every day. Call each of your names. And I did that because uh, something inside of me told me that this was a season to pray Psalms 91. Now, now that this is broken out, Everybody's praying Psalms 91. You're saying, well, did you hit? No. Uh, what I'm saying is God always confirms his word. God always speaks to our heart and leads us. I look back at the things that I've preached over the last three months about shaking and things that, 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 that uh, fault lines and things that I've preached. And I think to myself, little bits and pieces of here was God really speaking to my heart about what was coming. And it was as if this word of God was preparing us for this season that we're in. And so praise God, I'm going to move on because I, I, I don't have much time left this morning. But, but what did those Hebrew boys do? We know that in chapter 3, we know that uh, they said this beginning in verse 16 of, of uh, Daniel chapter 3. They said beginning in verse 16, uh, they began to say these words to the king. And they said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, their faith. They said, we have no need to answer you in this matter. And, it's, and they went on to say that it, if that is the cause, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But look at verse 18. He said, but if not... I love this. This is, not, this is not something where they were questioning the authority of the king. 
They were not questioning God's ability to deliver when they said that in verse 18. What were they doing? When they made that statement, but if not, what was they saying? Well, I'll tell you what they were saying. They were saying this, that we're placing ourselves and we are submitting ourselves to the will of God. That's what they were doing. They were making a declaration that if our God saves us, he will. And he's able to do it. But if he does not save us, we are still submitting ourselves to the will of God. And so number one, in this hour, the enemy tries to stop worship by exalting man above God. Number two, he tries to stop authentic worship of God. See, it's not enough to make you worship something It comes against our faith also. It's not enough that the enemy tries to get you to worship, not worship something. But that there's an, also the enemy's job is to attack our faith also. And uh, the, law say, the law says that you cannot worship God that way. You know, I began to think about this, and I thought about this a few years ago. I don't know if you all remember, but a few years ago, uh, Hobby Lobby and uh, the Catholic Church and Liberty University, uh, they all had been given uh, uh, this mandate, this health care mandate to provide abortion to their employees. And in that hour, they said, hey, we're not going to bow to that. We're not going to give in to that because that comes against the essence of who we are as a believer. And I remember the attack that came from everywhere and everything began to attack them and call them intolerant and unloving and uncaring and all these things that began to happen. And they said, look, we're, 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 not, we're not against our government. All we're saying is, is that we have a, a foundation and a faith that is sure in us and we are not going to give in. And then they said, well, they tried to move them with fear. They said, well, every day you don't comply that we're going to charge you a million dollars a day. In other words, what was the motivation to conform? The motivation was fear, to get them to fear. The stop worship. That's what happened in Daniel 6. In Daniel chapter 3, it was about exalting man above God. But in Daniel chapter 6... It was to stop Daniel from worshiping God completely. If you look at Daniel chapter 6 and beginning in verse 10, we begin to look at that and we begin to see Daniel's response and how Daniel responded to these things. He gave, the Bible says in verse 10, and when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees Three times a day and prayed to God and prayed and gave thanks to God. Listen, he gave thanks to God. That was his worship. He gave thanks to God, gave thanks before his God. Now look what it says at the end of verse 10. This is key because it said this, as was his custom since the early days. Daniel just didn't decide to be a worshiper. He didn't just decide to be a prayer warrior. He didn't just decide to be obedient to God. It was his lifestyle and what he was. And what happened was the enemy tried to stop his worship by preventing him to worship. I'm telling you, we're living in an hour. We cannot let our worship to be foiled. We cannot let fear keep us from worshiping. Even right where you are right now, even as we speak, even as we are talking right now, we have to understand that we have to have the freedom and liberty to worship. Right where you are, just begin to worship God. Just begin to worship Him for who He is. Reveal, do what is customary in your life. Daniel had a lifestyle of worship. There's going to be an attack to stop you from worship. Fear wants to stop you from worshiping. I'm telling you, I know people that have been encapsulated by fear. And the number one thing about them, that when fear comes on them, the one first thing I notice is they're not worshipers. Why? They're not worshipers because that fear has paralyzed them from worshiping. And they become worriers and they become obsessed with what's around them. They become obsessed with everything about them. 
I'm here to tell you God is going to make you a worshiper. I said rejoice. And again, I say rejoice this morning. So that the peace of God that passes understanding shall come upon you. Hallelujah. Praise God for his perfect peace. Glory to God. Help me this morning. In other words, this morning, action was faithful. His action was an act of faithfulness and fear fearlessness. That's where the church has got. Woo! That's where the church has got to get. To where we're faithful, in other words, consistent in our professional lives, consistent in our personal lives, consistent in our prayer lives like Daniel was. That's our faithfulness. But then be fearless by opening the windows and do what we have always been accustomed to do, which is to worship a God who deserves to be worshiped in this hour. And I will not let fear keep me from opening my mouth unto God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to close with this this morning. I don't want to take you to the place, and I want to sum up this this morning, because how do we know? How do we know that we are worshipers? How do we know that we've not been stopped up or fear has not gripped our lives? I want to close by going to Mark chapter 12 this morning. Go to the book of Mark chapter 12. I feel the presence of God, hallelujah. I wish somebody would shout with me on the other side of that camera. Somebody get happy because you're free to worship. I'm telling you, you may feel captive in your home this morning, but your voice can be heard millions of miles away in the courts and in the throne room of God. Your voice can be heard this morning. Woo! No fear lives here in our lives. Don't let fear stop you. Don't let fear keep you from doing what God's called you to do. Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. Mark chapter 12, there's many verses I want to talk and show you something this morning. How do we express our worship and how do we know that our love is being expressed in worship, that fear has not gripped us and got a hold of us? I want to show you a couple of things. Mark chapter 12 and beginning... In verse, uh, I believe it's verse 30 this morning. And this is what we'll close with. Verse 30 of Mark chapter 12. And you shall love the Lord your God. Listen to this. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. You know what that is? That's a commandment. That's a command to worship. The first commandment, Jesus said, this is the first commandment, that you love the Lord God with all your heart and soul, that you love God with all your mind, that you love God with all your strength. That's acts of worship. That's worship. I'm telling you that's worship this morning. In other words, in other words, what does fear do? Seducing spirits will keep you from worshiping God. Now, what is the heart and soul? Well, the heart and soul is your emotions. It's where your affections are. Where are your affections? Where are uh, your emotions? Where are they going? What do you do? What do you, what do you express? Uh, what, do you, what do you express love for the most in your life? In other words, heart and soul has to do with our affections. What do you love the most? What is your love? It's time to do a checkup from the neck up of what we love most and what we love more than God. Where are your affections? Where do your affections lie? There are many things our affections can be drawn to in this world and hour we live in. But let me tell you what the enemy does. He'll use fear to draw your affections to something else beside God. Because he says that if you love God with all your heart and all your soul, that there will be a consequence for being radical for the things of God. Hear me this morning. I'm telling you. Throughout the whole book of Psalms, worship is an expression. And I want to tell you through the centuries, we've learned the art of taming people in worship. Now listen. I know people can be goofy. But I'm here to tell you this. I can look in the Old Testament and every expression of worship. If we really understood what worship was in the Old Testament, it would change the way that we worship. I mean, there's shouting, there's clapping. There's lifting of hands. 
There is dancing. I'm telling you, there is rejoicing. In other words, there is more expression of love for, listen, we have more expression in worldly events that we gather at than we do the house of God. When the church gathers together, we have more excitement in other places than we do the house of God. Why is that? We have to check our heart and soul and our affections. How is it that I can love something else above God? I'm here to tell you that I come into this place this morning and I want you to know my heart and soul is turned, my affections is turned toward God. And I will not let fear keep me silence. Now I know not everybody's expressive. And I want to know that Christianity is not a feeling. But I want to tell you, it sure feels good to be saved and washed in the blood. Because it does feel good. Secondly, a heart and soul. The heart and soul. Secondly, the mind. What is the mind? To love God with all your mind. That's your attention. Where is your attention? Where is your attention be drawn? <laughs> because... What's your attention on the most? What you think about is what you worship. What you're obsessed with is what you worship. God, help us that our mind would be stayed upon you. God, help us that we would not let fear come into our mind and keep us from allowing our attention to be towards you. God, that our heart and soul, would, our affections would be towards you, but also our attention. Number three, it says with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is our strength? Our strength is our abilities. Our strength is what are we doing for God? What are, what are we doing for God? What are our activities for God? I want to tell you that everyone here is a worshiper. The question is, is God getting your worship? The question is, who you will not worship? Who will you not worship? Who do we got to stop bowing down to? You know, 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 9 says this. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen, listen, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. What's that scripture saying? God's looking for worshipers. God's looking for those who won't allow fear to keep them from worshiping. <laughs> I love how these two stories end. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered in the midst of that fiery furnace. God shows up. Nebuchadnezzar becomes furious. And I want to tell you, because they would not bow to that image, they would not bow. There was a protection that came upon him. I'm here to tell you, there's going to be a time when the essence of your faith will be challenged. And I ask you not to bow, not to give in, but to stand strong. Don't let your convictions be compromised because you're afraid of the consequences of what might happen. Do not let fear overcome you. And so, who will you not worship, but who are you going to worship? John 4 says this, the time is coming when true worshipers will worship him in spirit and truth. And then the next line, the next verse says, they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Those that worship in spirit and truth. I'm telling you, the eyes of the Lord are going about. He's looking in this hour. He's looking in this moment, the season we're in. He's looking throughout to and fro our nation and to and fro the church looking for those who are going to worship him in spirit and truth. He is looking for those kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. What kind of worshiper are you this morning? What kind of worship? Come on. Where's your affections? Where's your attention this morning? What you giving your abilities to? I'm telling you, Daniel did that which was custom. He, there's a consistency that came into his life. And I want to tell you part of the part of the downfall of the church is we've lost the, the ability to walk with consistency and to walk with a faithfulness because people see us compromising our convictions all the time. I'm not going to let fear rule this hour. 
Well, we'll close you down. Close us down. But you won't shut me up. You'll close us down, but you won't shut us up. But we won't let you. I don't, well, you may not let us. But we're still going to lift our voices unto God. We're still going to be worshipers. Even if the consequence costs us everything. And I'm telling you, we may not be far away from the type of persecution that I'm talking about. But I'm here to tell you, we're seeing signs of it in this hour. And I want to tell you, in this moment, I'm telling you, people will compromise their faith. I believe some of them would sell out their faith for food in this hour. I believe some would sell out their personal integrity right now, right now, for their faith. Help us, Jesus. I feel the presence of God. And what's going to happen is, is that God's reordering our life. He's reordering our affections. You know, all these things have been canceled, all these gatherings, all of Hollywood, all of movies, all these, all these, these theaters and things that we love and sports and games and all these things that we have been, that we've shown our affection to. I'm here to tell you, I'm thankful that God did it because you know why? God is helping me to, re, to reorder my life and to question and ask. The que- I'm asking the question. I'm not saying that any of you are. I'm just asking the question, where's our affection? Let's reevaluate our affection. Let's realign our lives. Where's our attention? Is our attention really raising our families? Because God just may have you at home right now so that you're the reordering of your family, so that your attention can now be on your family, where before it was on your job or your career or what you were loved or what you put your life into. Now God is saying, hey, this is your family. Is your family in order this morning? You've got to sit and look at them in the face and say, hey, are you doing everything you can to raise your children who will be Daniels and Shadrachs and Meshach and Abednego's in this hour? Or are you looking at them and you're saying, I have no idea what to do because my affections and attention has been somewhere else. It's time to realign our lives. Time to re-engage. We re-engage with our abilities. Where's all your strength been going? Has all your strength been going? I'm closing. Jesus said this. He said, fear not. Fear breeds more fear. Fear clouds our judgment. Fear redirects our energy. Psalm 34, 4 says this, I pray to the Lord, and he answered me. Come on, listen. Listen to me. Those that are watching, I pray to the Lord, and he answered me. I pray to the Lord, and he answered me, and he freed me from all of my fears. <laughs> Whew. I don't know if you feel it like I feel it this morning, but I'm feeling it. And I believe that God is raising up a church that are going to be worshipers again. If you're watching me right now, just where you are, just lift your hands. In your living room, just lift your hands to the Lord, and I want you to make a reordering of your affections. God, I reorder my affections this morning. I reorder my affections on you. I put my affections on you. And I've let other distractions come into my life. Lord, I reorder my attention on you. And to reorder my attention on you means I have to reorder my attention to my family, to my children, to my wife, to what's important in my life, not the attention, not my attention on satisfying myself, but making sure that my family is whole. Re-engage my life, Lord, with my strengths and abilities. If you'll pray to the Lord this morning, 
He will answer you. And he'll free you from all your fears. If you're listening this morning, you need Christ. We want you to accept Jesus this morning. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need Christ. Forgive me of all my sin. I believe that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead. That his blood washes away all my sins. I confess my sins now to you, Lord. Forgive me. Wash my heart clean. I believe that your word says that old things have passed away and now all things have become new. Lord, your word says, he that calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I'm calling on your name this morning. Come on, redirect your affections this morning. Right there where you are listening and watching. I don't know, I may have lost everybody. There may not be anybody watching. But I'm here to tell you that if you are, just redirect your affections and attention this morning. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.